This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Uh, Just like Pastor Kevin said, if you're wearing socks, I'm going to bless them off. But if you don't have socks, I don't know when I'm blessing off, but be ready. I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, Again, my name's Maddie, and I'm so honored. But before getting started in today's message, I want to take a moment and honor Pastor Kevin, our pastor here at Vortex. Um, He is so loving and he is so great at leading others like he said I started interning here when I was in high school and y'all he had to lead me through some of the hardest seasons of my life and he did it with grace with forgiveness and I'm better because of him he loves y'all he loves our church and he most importantly loves the kingdom of God and he wants to further that so thank you Pastor Kevin and also for his wife Amanda um She has become one of my best friends, but also a mentor to me. And really, the the passage of scripture we're going to look at today came because I'm speaking about it because of her speaking it over my life. When I was in a season of where I felt alone and where I felt like I didn't need anybody, and she spoke this over my life. So thank you, Amanda and Kevin. But also, I want to give a big shout out to our student volunteers. Anybody in the room? I know Miss Donna is back there, but y'all, Jared right there. (laughs) I forget about Jared all the time. Y'all, these volunteers pour out so much to our students, and they're leading this next generation. And I've said when I took over student ministries a little over a year ago, I could not do it without a team like them. And so I'm so thankful for y'all. Thank you for pouring into this next generation. They're changing our kids' lives, y'all. So thank y'all for just being so faithful, so humble, and serving so selflessly selflessly, um, because you're changing lives. Now today... We are continuing in our series, Come to the Table. And if you were not here last week, I would advise you to go listen to Pastor Kevin's message. He started it off with a bang. He started talking about um, how we need real relationships. And he used the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And if you don't know anything about that story, Zacchaeus was a well-known tax collector in that culture, and nobody liked him. But Jesus in this story said, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your table. And so he did. He created a real relationship with someone who was broken, with someone who was messy, but he still invited himself to his table. You see, we need real relationships because like Pastor Kevin has said, life change happens in the context of our relationships. Life change. That means who you have in your life is changing your life. Who you have relationships with is gonna change your life. Life change happens in the context of relationships. So today, 
I'm going to speak, continue to speak about this series, Come to the Table, and I'm going to use the passage of Scripture in Exodus 17. So if y'all would stand across the room to just honor God's Word today as we read Exodus 17, verses 9 through 13. It says, Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Let's take a moment and pray over this passage and this message today. God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to share um, this message, to share what you've laid on my heart. I just pray over each person in this room, God, that they will just allow your spirit to pour into them. God, we have open hands, open hearts. So whatever you want to pour into us or maybe whatever you want to take out, God, we're allowing you to do that in this moment. We pray that in your name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Now today, I want to talk by starting to talk about how we as humans are created for connection. We are created for connection. And today, I'm specifically going to talk about how and who we need to be inviting to our table. Because this is so important, because who we have at our table matters. Who we have at our table matters. Just like Pastor Kevin has said, life change happens in the context of relationships. So who we're doing life with, who is at our table matters because our life is going to shift to whatever relationships we have. Now, if I'm honest, this has been a little uncomfortable for me to learn over the past couple years because I, if you don't know anything about me, um, I have been an introvert for 25 years. And you might be asking, well, Maddie, how old are you? I'm 25. I have been an introvert. I've never really liked being around people, especially people I didn't know. And big crowds of people was a straight no for me. It made me really uncomfortable, and I really enjoy a long time. I've been an introvert all my life. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought it would be funny to give a definition that many people don't say but it's like I think they're saying it in their hearts and it's not fully accurate the definition of what I'm about to say but introverts they they say well I don't like people anybody like that in the room or is it just me right introverts I don't like people but extroverts I love people I love to be around people and you see with both of these they are both good things we need extroverts in our life. We need introverts. We need people who are different from us in our lives. Both have good qualities, but also both of them have some liabilities. And today I'm going to speak on one liability that comes with either being an introvert or an extrovert. So extroverts, if you didn't know, extroverts are energized by being around people, but are drained when they're alone. 
Anybody in the room like that? Yes, Carter, I know you are. <laughs> you're energized with being around people, but when you get by yourself, it's draining because you're stuck with your thoughts, your feelings, and you don't know how to process it. But introverts, on the other hand, are the complete opposite. They are energized by having alone time, but are drained with being around people. And you might be asking, well, Maddie, you say you're an introvert. How are you doing that right now? How are you speaking? Well, it's really uncomfortable. And you know what? I'm going to be taking a nap this afternoon. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're different. Introverts, extroverts are different. And really, for me personally, I've struggled with learning about how I needed people because a couple years ago, um, I moved out by myself. I live by myself and I have enjoyed it so much because I can just go home, get in my PJs, go to bed whenever I want to, right? But I started to, to believe a lie that I didn't realize was a lie. And that was the lie of if I have myself if I'm good, if I'm healthy, and I have a personal relationship with God, I'm good. I don't, know, I don't need anybody else. I have myself and I have God. I'm good. I'm thriving. But I came to a realization that that's not how God made us to live. We need others. And we see that in back, if we go back to creation, when God created everything, he said it's for good. But then he created Adam, and Adam had this personal relationship with God. He had himself. He had God. But God said in Genesis 2, it is not good for man to be alone. You see, even though Adam had his personal relationship with God, and he had himself, he, God knew Adam needed somebody else. He needed community. You see, we aren't meant to do life alone. We are created for connection. But oftentimes, we get this wrong. Because we're broken, because we're, we have sin, we get it wrong. You see, God created us for meaningful connection, but oftentimes we drift towards isolation. You see, God created from the beginning. He created us for connection, but oftentimes we drift towards isolation. And so I want to ask the question today, what does it look like to live in isolation? And y'all, I'm talking to extroverts too, not the introverts in the room. I'm talking to everybody because I think sometimes even the people that like to be around people are isolating themselves in their hearts. It's like, I'm not isolating myself. Well, you are in your heart. That's still isolation. So what does it look like? If we think of this like in physical aspect, it's not too hard to think back the past three years, COVID happened, 2020. We became isolated. We couldn't go out to eat. We couldn't go to the gym. We couldn't do anything with other people. We couldn't even go to church. So yeah, physical isolation happens. But today I wanna dive into something of how we become isolated in our hearts. And you might be asking, well, what does that mean? How does that look like? Well, have you ever been offended by someone? Have you ever become offended and you're like, I'm going to distance myself from that person. I don't want to be a, offended again. Or have you ever got hurt by someone? And to keep yourself from being safe, 
You distance yourself. You've isolated yourself. Or maybe it's pride or selfishness or self-righteousness. All of these things, if we're honest, these things happen naturally for us. If someone hurts us, it's natural for us to lean towards isolation. If someone offends us, it happens naturally. And it's because we're all sinners. We are all broken. Nobody in here gets it right all the time. And so Pastor Kevin, he has taught this before, that we can either live by default or we can live by God's design. It's our choice. And so if we think about what is God's design for us, well, God's design for us is meaningful connection with each other, with ourselves, and with God. But our default is isolation. We distance ourselves from people when they hurt us, when they get it wrong. You see, that's our default, but we can choose to live in God's design. If we go back to the garden, this is evident. What happens after Adam and Eve eat the fruit that they weren't supposed to? They hide. They isolate themselves from the one true relationship that they need. They hid themselves from God. It became their default instead of their design. You see, we never drift towards God's design. We get there by being intentional. We get there intentionally. We have to start living in a way that we see that our default is is we're living in offense. We're living in the hurt, but we need to get to God's design by being intentional. So today, I want to ask the question, how do we fight the drift towards isolation and instead go towards God's design? How do we fight the drift? And I have three things for you. Number one, we need to remember God is faithful. We need to remember God is faithful. If you're in the room, you probably know this already, but people are messy. People are broken. They get it wrong. We're messy. I'm messy. You're messy. And if you have kids in the room, small kids especially, you know your kids are messy. But we see the mess when we usually grow closer, when we grow closer in community. And when you get closer, the closer you get to people, the clearer are the sins are to see. You see, we, we are meant for connection, but when we get close to people, we see the brokenness, we see the mess. And you know what it leads to? It leads us to become offended. It leads us to become hurt. You see, that person hurt me. I'm going to go over here. I'm not going to be in their life. I don't want to get hurt. They offend me, so I'm going to choose to live in isolation from them. But I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says, being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. You see, the closer, if you're going to live in community, you have to accept that people are going to hurt you that people are going to offend you, and people are going to be broken. They're going to be messy. But the way you live after that is your choice. You get to choose for yourself. Am I going to live in the offense, or am I going to forgive them? Am I going to love them? You see, in those moments where you feel the offense, where you feel the hurt, we need to remember that God is faithful. He's the only one that will never hurt us. He loves us so freely, more than we deserve. We need to remember when we've been hurt, when we have become offended, that God is faithful. 
And every single person in this room, if you're following Jesus, you have no excuse to not forgive someone, to not love them, because we've been forgiven and loved more than we deserve. You see, you need to forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. When you feel the offense, when you feel the hurt, you need to step back. If you're going to live by God's design and say, okay, I've been forgiven and loved, so I can forgive and love them. And Ephesians 4.32 says it best. It says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Every single person in this room has been forgiven and loved more than they deserved. So that needs to overflow to our hearts and our lives to people. Because everybody, including you, we're messy. And we need to start living in forgiveness. We need to start living in the love that God has poured into us. You see, if we think how we're going to drift, we don't drift towards God's design. We drift towards offense. We drift towards isolation. We drift towards hurt. But in those moments, the way we live after that, we get to choose to remember the faithfulness of God in our own personal lives. We need to remember the faithfulness of God if we're going to fight the drift of isolation. That's number one. Number two, how to fight the drift. We need to rely on God's people. And you might be introverted in here and you're like, nope, I'm good. That's how I was. But we need other people. We need to be relying on God's people. But it's not too hard to look in today's culture and see that our culture is so self-focused. If you look on social media or the news, it's so self-focused, which leads to selfishness, which leads to self-righteousness, which leads to self-reliant. You know, I didn't realize self-reliant is a part of being selfish. I went through that. When I moved out by myself, I was like, I'm good. I'm independent. I can fight my battles by myself, but we need people. If Jesus needed friends here on earth, I think we need friends too. We are not meant to do life alone, but I want to point out something. Most of us don't need friends. We need the right friends. Oh, a lot of us have friends at our table, but they're the friends that will have fun with us. They're the friends that will keep us self-focused. They're the friends that will say, you go do you, boo-boo not care about anything else you need the right friends you see a lot of us have isolated ourselves from the right friends because the only friends we have are the ones we want we don't want the friends that will have hard conversations with us with us we don't want the friends who will lead us to Jesus we don't want the friends who will downgrade our ego when it needs to be downgraded we don't want those So instead, we invite the people who will lead us astray, who will have fun, but aren't leading us to Jesus. So you might be here today, and you're like, Maddie, I've tried. I've tried to find the right friends, but I just can't. It leads me to, I've gotten hurt. I've had this expectation that it'll be perfect. I've I've become offended. How do I find the right friends? Well, y'all are in the right place today. The right friends will be found in in the people who are centered around Jesus. And I'm not saying that because it'll be perfect. Because none of us are perfect. 
But we need the right friends. And there's two things where you can find the right friends. Number one, start serving. And I'm not saying that because we need more people serving or we just need a body. No, I'm saying that because I know people that started coming to Vortex about a year ago. Didn't know anybody. But they got plugged in, they started serving, and now they're doing life with people who are centered around Jesus, who will have hard hard conversations with them. You need to get plugged in. Get around people who love Jesus that will have hard, hard conversations. And number two, you need to join a small group. And y'all, if I'm honest, this has been uncomfortable for me because I've always said I don't need a small group. I have my people. But about a year ago, I felt the Lord nudged me a little bit and say, you need to start a small group for young adults. I was like, mm I'm good. They're messy. <laughs> but it kept coming to me. And God was like, not only that, but you need to be inviting them to your house. You live by yourself. You have the space. Invite them to your house. And y'all, my house is my safe place. That's where I get to take naps. But I did it. And that small group that started with five people has now become 15 because of joining, being centered around the right friends. Now we have fun, we, have, we goof off, but all of these relationships are centered around God. It's the right friend. You need to rely on God's people. But the last way that we need to fight isolation, how to fight isolation is number three. You need to release the power of your story. You need to release the power of your story. And yes, I'm talking about the mess. I'm talking about the brokenness. You need to release the power of your story. And I believe there's people in this room who have become isolated because of the fear of sharing their story with other people. You see, we need to be relying on God's people, but we can't rely on them if we're not being real. And all that is, is pride in your heart that has grown. If you're not willing to share your story, all that is, is pride. It might be pride in your past. Oh, I don't want them to see what I've done. I don't want to see, want them to see the brokenness. Or it might be the pride of where you're living right now. I'm not going to get close to people because I don't want to see how I'm living. It's all pride. And I believe you've lost friends because of not sharing your story. And you've distanced yourself from community. You've lost friends and you've distanced yourself from community. But I'm here to tell you today, you need to be real with people and yourself. You will never have the right relationships if you're not willing to be real. We need real. And that real comes with the mess. It comes with the brokenness. We need to be willing to put our shame to the side, put our pride to the side and say, look, I know this seems broken, but God has healed me. Or maybe you're living in it right now and I just need help. All it is is humility. You need to have the humility to share your story because the only way for your mess to turn into a message is if you're willing to tell it. Nobody knows your story. Oh, they might have opinions. They might know some. But you have to put down the pride and be willing to tell your story. 
So today, are you willing to show people the mess? Are you willing to show people the mess of your past, the mess of your present, the mess of your future? Because if we're honest, we're all messy. We all are. But you need to be relying on God's people. And the only way to do that is to share your mess, to share your brokenness. Because, guys, we were never meant to do life alone. If we're talking about the table, we're never meant to sit alone at our table. We never were created for that. And as I was processing this message, I came to realize that your table is your team for battle. Your table is your team for battle. And you can't win the battle. Hear me. You can't win the battle if you have the wrong friends or no one at your table. Oh, you can try but you're not going to win. You need the right people at your table. So I'm going to talk about today, who do we need to be inviting to our table? Who do we need to be inviting to our table? And I have three things. Number one, everybody needs God. Everybody needs God. I do. You do. Pastor Kevin does. The greatest people in the world Everybody needs God. And even Moses in this story, in verse 9, it says, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Holding the staff of God. That staff of God was a representation of God's presence, God's power in Moses' life. But you know what? This staff didn't start as God's staff. It started as a shepherd's staff. Because earlier in Moses' life, Moses was a shepherd. And one day he was leading the flock for his father-in-law into the wilderness, onto the mountainside. And he had a shepherd's staff in his hand and he began to look ahead and he saw this bush engulfed in flames, but it wasn't dying. The bush was still alive and Moses was like, that looks cool, I'm going to go see it. And as he got closer, God started speaking to Moses through that bush. He said, Moses, I see your people being enslaved and I want to set them free free, but I I have something for you. I want you to be the person to lead them out of Egypt. I want you to lead them. And in that moment, Moses was like, nope, no way. But he stayed and God started speaking to him again. And he said, Moses, what's in your hand right now? And Moses said, it's a shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. And Moses did. And it turned into a snake. And y'all, if I was Moses, I would have been gone because I don't do snakes. But Moses stayed. And God said, pick it up again. Pick it up by his tail. And it did. And he turned back into a staff. But it wasn't just a shepherd's staff then. It was God's staff. It was God's power with Moses from then on out. And God used this staff as a symbolism for Moses to, to, to see that God was with him. God was at Moses' table. You see, Moses knew he needed God at his table. But it wasn't only Moses in the Bible who knew that. You see, one of the greatest influence in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, 
If you don't know anything about him, he wrote more than half of the books in the New Testament. He was a great influence. But he says in Philippians 3.8, he says, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. First sentence, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If the Apostle Paul can say that, I can say today that the greatest need for your table will always be a personal relationship with God. The greatest need for your table will always be a personal relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you something. Don't check out with me. If God isn't at your table, why would anybody else want to be? If God isn't at your table, why would anybody else want to be at your table? Let me ask you this question. Would you want to sit at somebody's table who lies, who cheats, who steals? All of us would say no, right? So if God isn't at our table, who would want to be? You see, when you start following Jesus, you become grounded on morals. Morals of love and grace. When you start following Jesus, you take on the love that God has given you, even though you don't deserve it. So you and that can overflow your love to people, the people that are at your table. You don't deserve, when you start following Jesus, the grace he gives you. But in that, you accept it. You live from it. And in that, you can start giving grace when people don't deserve it. You give grace to the people at your table. If God isn't at your table, who would want to be? We need God. Everybody needs God at their table. But that's not all we need. Number two, everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody. I don't care how great you are, how strong you are, how good of a relationship you have with God. Everybody needs somebody. And it's revealed so evidently in this passage. It says in verse 11, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, which is God's staff, God's power, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. You see, in this story, Moses had God and he had himself, but he knew he needed help fighting. While Moses had God's power, he had God's staff with him, he needed help fighting. He needed people. And I believe there's a phrase we use in today's culture we need to get rid of, that God will never give you more than you can handle. But this story shows God will put you in a position where you have a personal relationship with him and you have yourself, but you need more. You need people in your life. You need the right people in your life. We need God, and we need God's people. It's not one or the other. It's both. We need God, and we need God's people. You see, you can try. You can try to fight the battles of your life alone. Oh, you can try. I've tried. But you're going to grow tired. 
You're going to grow weary. You're going to give up. You need people in your life. You need somebody. Every one of us needs somebody. You need somebody. And I, as I was writing this story, I came across this story of two guys named C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. If you don't know who they are, you probably know what they created. C.S. Lewis created the Narnia series, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And J.R.R. Tolkien created... Um, the Lord of the Rings. And y'all, I've never watched it, so don't come at me. Um, but these two guys started a friendship when they became professors at Oxford University in England. And it's very important to, to point out that at that time, C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. But J.R.R. Tolkien grew up believing. He was a believer. He actually grew up Catholic. And in this moment, these two guys formed a friendship and one day they took a walk together they loved talking about the stories of fairy tales the stories of myths the stories or even religion they had conversations about all of these things but in this moment when they'd taken a walk lewis was explaining how just how he loved the stories of fairy tales and myths because at the end of the stories there was always a hero there was always hope, and there, all, there was always light in the darkness. And in that moment, J.R.R. Tolkien said, Lewis, all of these stories lead back to the one true story of Jesus resurrecting in the grave. He is our hero. He is our hope. He is the light in the darkness. And you know what? In that moment, Lewis started following Jesus. And if you don't know anything about Lewis, C.S. Lewis, he grew to become a Christian who brought much hope and inspiration to this world. And you know where it started? It started because he had somebody at his table. You need somebody. You need to be inviting somebody to your table. But then I want to close with this one, number three. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. Somebody does. Do not check out with me because somebody needs you. You see, what I love about the story of Moses is when, when we go back to when God started talking to him in the bush, Moses struggled with pride. And it wasn't the pride of, oh, I'm too good. I'm too good to do this. It was the pride of insecurity. I can't do that. You see, Moses struggled with speech. He could not talk well. And so he counted himself out of God's calling because of his pride. But he became obedient. He stuck with God. But in verses 3, this is how Moses responded. This is God speaking at the beginning. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses, who we see the profound of his life in that moment, chose pride. Who am I? He couldn't see past the insecurity. You see, in the calling, Moses didn't know how many lives would be changed because of his obedience because of his faithfulness to the calling of God in his life. 
Moses didn't realize. All he saw was pride. So I'm going to ask you today, are you asking that question to yourself? Are you asking, who am I? Who am I to serve? They don't need me. I don't need that. Who am I to serve? Who am I to join a small group? Who am I to lead a small group? Nobody wants to be my friend. Nobody wants to hear from me. Are you asking the question, who am I to tell my story? My story's way too broken. Who am I? Are you asking, who am I? I'm too old. Who am I? I'm too young. Are you asking that question about yourself? Because I can say this with clarity. You have no idea how God might use you. You are not alive just for you. You have no idea how God might use you. You are not alive just for you. You see what you're doubting right now? What you're fighting, what you're going through, isn't just for you. Somebody needs you. Where God is calling you is not just for you. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs to see your faithfulness in the calling. That you're choosing faithfulness over pride. Somebody needs you. You see, somebody needs to see you didn't give up when it was hard. They need to see you leaning into God when it wasn't easy. Somebody needs to see you being faithful, still praising God, still trusting in God, even when it's hard. Somebody needs you. You see, you need God. You need somebody, and somebody needs you. You need God. You need somebody, and somebody needs you. You see, every one of us has a table to fill. Everybody in this room, everybody has a table to fill. So who is at your table right now? It might be full of people, but it's not the right people. Or you might be like me a couple years ago. Nobody's at my table. Who is at your table? But most importantly, the better question is, who are you inviting to your table? Who are you inviting? Are you inviting the people you need? Because we all need somebody. Are you inviting the people that need you? Because somebody needs you. But most importantly, are you inviting God to your table? Are you inviting him into your life? Are you inviting him into your table? Because without God, you'll never be the person people need. Without God, if you don't have God in your life, you will never amount to the, to the calling, to the need of what people need in their lives. You need God. It's the most important thing to have at your table. So maybe you're here today. And if you look at your table, you see that there's people at your table that you don't need. There's people at your table that aren't the right friends. You look at your table and nobody's at your table. You've, you've encountered like, oh, I'm good with just God and myself. Who's at your table? Maybe you're here today and you need to start inviting the right people. You need to start inviting the people that need you. But most importantly, you need to start inviting God. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. 
For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.